You know, I've read the Bible a lot, a long time now, and there are parts of the Bible that are just kind of difficult to understand. Some of these difficult verses uh, over the years have have become more uh, comfortable. I've become more comfortable with them. I've, I've learned more insight about them as I've studied them. Others, the more I've studied, the more I still wonder how this applies to my life and what this means. That's why today I'm gonna share with you a scripture that has helped me so much and I know it's gonna help you. And the title of this message is Help My Unbelief. Help My Unbelief. The the reality is that throughout our Christian journey, we're going to have seasons of unbelief or maybe a better way to put this We're going to have unbelief about particular situations in our life. Maybe it's not an unbelief about God, but about certain things we're dealing with. And so this verse is very important, but I want you to read the whole context. So we're going to go through a lengthy scripture, and then we'll see what the Holy Spirit wants to communicate through this scripture. Starting in verse 17 of Mark chapter 9, out of the crowd, one man answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. And replied to them, being Jesus said, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought him to him. When the spirit saw him, being Jesus, it immediately convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is impossible to the one who believes. Now here's the key scripture, but I wanted you to understand the context. Verse 24, immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Now the rest of the story unfolds. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly approaching together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute And deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And then it came out, shrieking and convulsing him violently. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. So the key verse here is verse 24. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Since the beginning of Jesus's ministry here on earth, and now even today, something has been following Jesus, and that's curiosity. And the first thing I want to observe about Jesus is that Jesus, people are curious about Jesus. This all started in the Gospels. You'll begin to read the Gospels, and Jesus was doing things no one had ever done before. Healing the sick, casting out demons, turning water into wine. Jesus was doing things unconventionally. He was teaching in the wilderness. He was teaching in fishing boats. He was doing things no one had ever done before, and it made people curious. And because people were curious, 
they came to Jesus. That's really the first step that we make when we come to Jesus. The father of this very tormented boy, he started off with curiosity. He had heard about Jesus and thought, maybe Jesus can come through for me. Maybe Jesus can come through and his curiosity led him to Jesus. Throughout the history of the church, this has been a trend for us. Throughout the Middle Ages in Europe, before people could read and write, most of the population, the thing that made people most curious about the church was architecture. Right in the middle of the village, right in the middle of the great cities, the most magnificent buildings were ones the church put up. Cathedrals, that the very essence of the cathedral caused people to be in awe and people to worship God. And people would go to these buildings out of curiosity and they would look at the stained glasses and the stained glass would communicate a story to them that they weren't able to read because that ability hasn't, had not been passed on to them yet. And so they would read the story and the curiosity would bring them to Jesus. And in our country, in the early days, in the first great awakening, under the ministry of men like Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley, the message of Jesus went outside of the building and this curious thing began to happen. These men began to preach in the streets and they began to preach in the countryside and Methodist circuit riders would go from village to village and people were curious. And so they came to Jesus out of curiosity. And then as our country developed and revival services started happening in, in a land where there wasn't all of the entertainment readily available, not, there weren't movie theaters and TV sets. And even into the 50s and 60s, there weren't you know, 500 channels to choose from. There were three channels. And so Sunday night, there wasn't much to do. There wasn't much going on. And so the church began to have revival services and great music and people were curious about Jesus and they began to go to evangelistic meetings. And then those evangelistic meetings couldn't fit inside the church buildings. And so they put up big tents. They put up tents and people went to tent revivals because they were curious about Jesus. And now this curiosity has been part of our story. In recent years, in the 1980s, church, church began to think, well, if we put on great pageants at Easter and Christmas and we have animals and confetti and people swinging down from the rafters and, and that will make people curious and they'll come to services like that. And then in the 90s, they thought, well, we need to entertain people every Sunday. And so every Sunday there was a drama sketch and a video presentation and, and a really badly done um, Bon Jovi song. And they thought if people would come and, and that would attract people. And then the 2000s came. Now I first saw this in the year 2000. We had started a church and I was driving a bus to supplement my income. And there was a church plant getting ready uh, to launch. And they came up to my bus and handed me a bottle of water. I was like, what's this for? The guy said, I just want to tell you that God loves you and we're starting a church. I was like, well, thank you. That's the weirdest thing that you're just handing me a bottle of water. But then within three years, our church was doing the same thing. So in the 2000s, it was about being really nice. Let's, let's serve them. Let's give out water bottles. Let's pay for gas. Let's clean out offices. Uh, let's show them God loves them. And maybe they would get curious, like, who are these really nice people? Let's, uh, let's get involved with them. Let's see what Jesus is about. So this is kind of this trend, this, this, um, this trend of curiosity that has always followed the message of Jesus. But in the first century, I, I would 
propose to you that the, one of the greatest needs of society was healing physically. Now, I know this is a huge need for us today too. Uh, and, and I'm aware that there's various illnesses and sicknesses we're all dealing with in here. And I'm thinking about some family members that are dealing with sicknesses and illness. And I don't wanna make light of those at all. Uh, but the truth is comparatively, life expectancy is much longer, triple of what it was in the first century when Jesus was on earth. The average, um, the average lifespan for a male in first century Judea was probably 29 years. And that's what records have indicated. So now our life, our lifespan has expanded, tripled even. But in these early days, Jesus met the needs of the people. And the greatest need I would suggest was physical healing. That was the most practical need. And this certainly was a case for this tormented person, this tormented boy who had both physical and spiritual issues. There was a demonic attack upon him. And Jesus met those needs. And, and I want you to see uh, a scripture here as we're talking about the curiosity that his father had. Look at verse 22. This father asked a question to Jesus. If you can do anything, if you can do anything, does that sound like a person who's fully convinced yet? I mean, does that sound like someone whose faith is fully exercised or fully developed? No, there's a curiosity. Hey, Jesus, I've heard about you. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, I would say in our day, our greatest need generally is our identity. I think that we are a people without much of an identity. We're not attached to our ancestors. We're not attached to a story. Uh, we're part of society where everyone can make up their own reality and make up their own truth. And so there's this part of us that we wonder, who are we? And does God really have a plan for my life? And am I going to reach my potential? Am I going to make an impact in the world? I think that's the greatest anxiety people feel. That's why in our generation, the greatest selling book besides the Bible has been The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, which is a very simple book. It's a good book. I enjoy the book, but it's very simple in its premise. It's helping people try to understand that God has a plan for them. And I think when we're disconnected uh, from all of the things in the past, the stories in the past, the sense of who we are as a people, uh, the connection even with a particular part of our country, our, our world, geographically. There's this anxiety of like, who, who are we? And who am I going to be? It's that nagging thought that comes to you in a private moment and in a quiet moment when you think, am I reaching my potential? Uh, am, I, am I serving my purpose? Sometimes we wonder, have I made a misstep in my past that has prevented me from reaching my potential? Sometimes we recognize a mistake we made in our past and we, we think, did that mistake sidetrack me from where God wants me to be? And there's a sense of hopelessness in that. And, and so the question I would say, you know, the question is, Jesus, can you give my life significance? I mean, for the... For the father of this tormented person, he was saying, can you do that? 
And now Jesus responds in the original language, lets us know, he rephrases the question back to the father. He says, says in verse 20, the next verse, if you can, if you can, Jesus is like, yeah, if I can, are you kidding me? Everything is possible to the one who believes. Everything is possible to the one who believes. I, I want you to know something this morning. Your deepest fear, your, your greatest, greatest sense of mystery, how will my future unfold? Will I reach my potential? Will I make the right decisions? The answer is through Christ. Everything's possible with Christ. Everything's possible with him. And he will meet your deepest need. And, and he's, here, he's here to answer that curiosity. That, that curiosity that says, I am the answer to life's greatest mystery. I'm the one who can change things. So here it is. Everything's possible to the one who believes. Well, verse 24, our key verse today, the guy gives a really honest answer. And he says this, hey, I believe, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Now I was thinking about this in relationship to my children uh, who are good students. And I really believe in my three kids. I believe they're smart. I believe that because I know who their mom is and she's really smart. I believe my kids are conscientious. I believe they're hard workers. I know their schedule because I take them to school and we pick them up again. So I believe in my kids, but I need a report card to help me with my unbelief. All right, I believe in them, but the report card helps me with my unbelief. There's still part of me that even though I believe in who they are, I need verification. You've heard the term lately, trust, but verify. That, that applies to parenting. When I was involved in coaching, I believe my players wanted to succeed. Ryan, you understand this. You're a football coach, but that my players wanted to succeed, were working hard to succeed, that they had talent, they had potential, but I needed the scoreboard to help my unbelief, right? So that's how we are with God sometimes. We're like, we believe who God is, but there's certain things in our life that we have unbelief in particular areas. Here's the second word that I want us to look at is conflicted. We move from being curious to being conflicted. What I love about this portion of scripture and what I love about the father to this tormented young man is that he was honest with God. I mean, he, he gave his gut level, honest emotions to God. And he said, God, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. This is so helpful to us today because some of us deal with unbelief at different levels. Now, there are some of you out there who just readily believe God for everything. And I want to congratulate you on that. And I don't want to mess you up with a sermon, okay? So if you just believe God for everything all the time, awesome, good for you. And, and I will say something kind of as a sidebar. I've noticed people who are like that often had great earthly fathers. That's often the case. So dads, your role is really important because when people have good natural dads, they kind of just trust God. Not always, but that's just been a general observation of someone being in ministry that if you have a good earthly father, you have a tendency just to trust God. But for a lot of us, I would say most of us 
There are seasons of unbelief. There are times of unbelief. And historically, the great church fathers and church mothers that we've had insight into their journals, into their diaries, they dealt with unbelief also. This scripture is so important because we see a God who isn't scared of our unbelief, who's not punitive towards our unbelief. He doesn't wait for us to be perfect in faith, to erase all doubt, and only then is when he will move. Our God is very comfortable with ambiguity. We're not. I mean, we, we want to have equations. Two plus two is always four. We want to have action steps. These seven steps will guarantee success. We want to have laws. You do this, there'll be an automatic reaction. And sometimes that is the case spiritually, but not all the time. Not in every situation. So what happens is this. We're like the father of this kid. God, I believe in you. I've been curious about you. I've been going to church all my life. God, I believe you. I'm curious about you. I've been investigating spirituality. God, I believe in you. I, I believe the message of Jesus is valid and good. But help me with my unbelief. Sometimes we believe in who God is and we believe in his character and we believe in who the essence of who he is. It's just hard to apply it to particular situations in our life. We believe God is the creator of the universe. He created the world and the universe and holds all things together by his powerful word. We believe that, but we have unbelief whether he's gonna provide for us by the time our next paycheck happens or our next sale comes through. We can believe that Jesus, he, he commanded the winds and the waves to be still and spoke peace to that over the elements and, and he healed diseases all through the Bible, but that kind of nagging flu or cold that we've been dealing with, it's hard to believe God would be concerned with that. It, it's this conflict within us. I believe in who God is. It's just in my personal life, God, I need help with my unbelief. And I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want you to be encouraged to know that a doubt you have in your life about a particular situation, a nagging doubt that has continued to linger in your life does not disqualify you, doesn't put you on the sidelines, doesn't keep God from moving in your life. God is bigger than your doubt. God is bigger than your uncertainty. God is bigger than the mystery in your mind. And what he is looking at is your heart, that you are a person who says, I believe in who God is. I believe he's Messiah. I don't understand everything about God. I don't know everything about God yet. I don't even understand his ways. And in this particular area of my life, I'm struggling, God. But if you come to God, if you come to Jesus honestly, authentically, and say, God, I believe, help me with my unbelief, you've positioned yourself for God to do a great and mighty work in your life. That's what God wants to do. I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to know that that. You join many, many people, including your pastor, who has had seasons of unbelief or has had unbelief about certain situations in my life. And, and you're not alone. Even Mother Teresa, who is, is the person that is most quoted as a representation of a godly character, as 
as, as her private diaries have become known, she had seasons of unbelief in certain aspects about God. But yet, God showed himself in her life and in our life too. And he will do the same. God loves you despite your unbelief. Or a better way to put that is God loves you in your unbelief. And he is there for you. And he wants to reveal himself. And I thank God for this scripture. Because when I read this scripture, it, it, it puts me at ease. It makes me love the Lord more. And it makes me understand that some of my emotions are okay. And they're, they're, they're all right. God is at work despite of me. When I was playing high school football, I played defensive end. And I was going up against, this particular week, one the best offensive lineman in the state of Texas. This guy was good. I'd read about him, seen him in magazines, uh, watched him on film, and I was going to be going up against him. And I only played defense. I didn't play offense, but he played both ways. And so they, uh, we got the ball first, and he played defense, and then it was our turn to come out uh, on defense. And... When we went, and I went out for my first play of the game, this guy didn't come into the game because he was resting. And to my surprise, I was like, glory be to God. Thank God I'm going up against the backup. And so they, the, the play, the snap happens, and I make a, a great move to get past this offensive lineman, and right as the quarterback's throwing the ball, I nail the quarterback. Back in the days when you could still do that, right? You know, I mean, he, he threw it and then I nailed him and I'm feeling good. First play of the game and I, I basically got a sack and I, I'm, this, is, this is working out great for me. And then I looked and saw that all-state offensive lineman enter the game. So I'm still, I'm feeling pretty good anyway. I'm like, he's a little bit tired. He's been playing a few plays. I'm on my second play. Not gonna be a problem. So the ball snapped and he goes back and he gets in his lineman stance like this. I mean, just a simple lineman stance, nothing. It's a pass play, right? I mean, a pass play, linemen are kind of back on their heels. And I come and I make a move and he pushes me like that. And when he pushes me, my knees buckle and I grab him like a girl and hang on to him. <laughs> I, mean, I just sat there like this. I was very humbled in one play. I had read about this guy. I had watched him on film. I, I had heard about him since I was in junior high, but it was a whole different thing when I encountered him. And when he hit me on that, on that play, I was convinced this guy was all state. There was no ambiguity. Here's the last point I wanna to give to you. We go from curiosity to conflict to being convinced. How are we convinced? We're, we're convinced when we encounter the power of God. When we encounter the power of God, we're convinced that, that Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus did signs and wonders and miracles, and he touched the deepest needs of the people to convince them that he was God. He, he, he was engaged in physical healing, the greatest need of that day, and, and incidentally, he still heals today. So I'm not, I'm not in any way communicating God stopped healing in the first century. I believe he heals today just like he did in the Bible. But I believe we're in a greater crisis than physical affirmities. 
a crisis of identity, a crisis of our faith in a world that wants us to think that every religion is equal and there's many ways to God in a world that wants us to, to believe that we can come up with our own standards of what is moral and what is immoral in a world that is full of sin. We need an encounter with Jesus. We need to see his power. We need to experience the impact of who he is. We need to know that he is not just a philosophy. He is not just a great teacher. He is not just a choice. He is God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one within whom life abundantly comes. And so here's the outcome of that story. I'll remind you of it as we look again in verse uh, 25 says, when Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out shrieking and convulsing him violently and the boy became like a corpse so that many said he's dead. But Jesus taking him by the hand, raised him and he stood up. This is the work of our God, the work of our God. This is what I believe, that you've been drawn to Jesus out of your curiosity. Whatever, whatever it is has drawn you to Jesus, you're, you're, you're investigating who he is. Maybe you grew up in a Christian family, but you're investigating that on your own. And somewhere along the way, we get conflicted. And God's okay with that. God's okay with us saying, I believe but help me with my unbelief. I believe who you are, but I don't understand your ways. I believe you're working in my life, but I don't see how you're working in this situation. And then what happens is when God hears the honest cry of our heart and God hears the honest cry of who we are, he comes to our unbelief and he does something to prove that he's God. He does something to show that he's God. Now here's the truth. I don't know when that will happen for you. And I can't even guarantee that it will happen on this planet in this life. I think it will. It's happened that way for me. But it could be. It could be that God is going to encounter you. Uh, for, for, for you, it's gonna be different than it was for this man in the Bible. For this man in the Bible, it was the healing he was looking for in his son. And that's how Jesus revealed himself. For you, it could be different. It may be a physical healing, but it may be a spiritual experience. Maybe something that happens here at this church. Maybe it's a time when you're reading the Bible and something jumps out of the page and the scripture becomes a life to you. It's just been words before, but that scripture jumps out of the page. Maybe it's through a conversation with a friend and an insight the light goes on and Jesus becomes real to you in a way he's never come, uh, never, you've never seen him before. Maybe it's in the lyrics of a song and you'll be driving in your car and, and there'll be a phrase in a song and something will, will just come alive in your heart and it'll all come together and you'll realize that Jesus is real. But I do believe this and I know this is sure. I don't know when that'll happen for you, but I know that when your time on this earth is done are when Jesus comes again to this earth and we see him face to face and we look into his eyes of fire 
And we have the ability, like Thomas, to touch the scars in his hands and touch the scar in his side, that there will be no doubt. There will be no ambiguity. There will be no mystery. There will be no more fear and no more doubt. We will see him face to face and we'll know that our God is real. Our God is resurrected. Our God is alive. There's no reason to doubt anymore. And the times we said, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. God's gonna step into that unbelief. He's gonna step into that space. He's going to step into that doubt. He's going to step into that mystery. And he is going to show himself strong. And we will be humble to say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Great is our God. There is none like our God. He is high and lifted up. He is exalted. He's been given a name that's above every name. He's been given power and authority over every spirit of darkness, over every way, over every stronghold. He is Lord. He is God. He is King. I believe that God help me with my unbelief. I know that's true. So God help me in the times when I'm not feeling it's true. Help me with my unbelief. Let's pray about that right now. God, uh, we thank you for the story. Uh, We thank you for your delivering power. We thank you for your authority over evil spirits and your authority over sickness. And God, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, we really do believe. I, I mean, I, I would say most people came to church today because at some level they believe. I wouldn't doubt that, Lord, that uh, the vast majority, perhaps every person in here believes, believes in who you are. Lord, we just need your help working that out in our lives. We just need your help with our unbelief. We just need your help with our mystery. We need, we need your help with the things we don't quite understand. So we look to you, God. We go to you right now. And Father, I pray that you would invade the space that there's been in our life. And God, that Lord, Lord God, you would show yourself. I, I just pray over my friends that you would show your hand in their life. Reveal yourself to them, Lord. Reveal yourself, Lord, whether it's through a sermon or a song or a friendship through a healing, God, through provision, God, through relationships. Show yourself, oh, son of God, the one who walked on this this earth and walked in this land. God, show yourself strong again to my friends. And Lord, if for some reason by your sovereign plan, we don't get the breakthrough we're looking for in this life. Lord, we know that you've prepared a better place for us, a place where we'll see you face to face. And God, put our hearts in the place where you are. Lord, in heaven, Lord, you're creating the new heaven and the new earth and everything good about this earth, you're gonna make better. And Lord, we believe that. Prepare our hearts for that. You're such a good God. In an attitude of prayer, let's all stand.